Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and so happy to be here with you. Man, I hope you enjoyed last week's episode, our recap from the That Sounds Fun weekend. It was incredibly, incredibly fun. We had the best time, and I hope you will be there with us next year, July of 2018. One of the big things that happened on the That Sounds Fun weekend is we announced the pre-sales for my new devotional, 100 Days to Brave. I am really excited about this book. It's not the book I've been writing on for the last couple of months. That one will come out next summer, but this is a devotional we've kind of been working on behind the scenes. So I am really, really excited. For those of you guys who have a connection with Let's All Be Brave, this devotional is going to be so fun for you. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So you can go to 100daystobrave.com, 100daystobrave.com for information about pre-ordering and all that jazz. So as you know, August is the month where my life gets a little quiet. I go on vacation, staycation, tour day, swimming pools. I mean, I am relaxing. But I just wanted to hop in here and chat for a few minutes with my friend, Crystal Evans-Hurst. You may know her already. She's an author, a blogger, a speaker. Her dad is Dr. Tony Evans. Siblings, Anthony Evans, Priscilla Shire, all people that you probably know. And Crystal is so dear. We met a couple of months ago at an event in Orlando and just totally hit it off. And I said, come be on my podcast. I would love it. And her book, She's Still There, released this week. So even though I'm technically on vacation. It feels like vacation to hang out with Crystal. So it was easy. And so I popped back in here to get to chat with her. You can read more about her book at she'sstillthere.com. Now we can party. Now, Crystal. (laughs) Now we can throw this party we've been trying to throw. Um, How are you? I'm doing great. Tell me, you live in Texas, is that right? Yep, in Dallas area. Is it just one million degrees there right now? You know, today, no, because it <sighs> rained. Not. Praise God. Oh, but it okay. But it, it has been hellacious, very I much I mean, so. yeah, it's been like beyond what I feel like I can emotionally handle heat-wise <laughs> here in Tennessee. I mean, yep. it's been bad, and y'all get it worse than we do. Is y'all's drier than ours, or is y'all's humid as well? We're dry. Houston, Houston is humid. But Dallas is more oh, dry. Okay. And did you grow, uh, have you always been Texas? Did y'all grow up there? Yeah, I wasn't born here, but pretty much instantaneously thereafter raised. Yeah. And is everybody still there? Like, does Anthony live there? Does your Is that where your parents are? Yeah, everybody's here, but Anthony and Anthony's mostly here. He actually has a pad in LA, but he's here at least once a month, usually twice. Okay. Man, that LA to Dallas flight, I bet he gets real used to that. Back and forth. Mm, yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Dallas. I think that y'all have, let me tell you what you have that we don't have is breakfast tacos. <laughs> we don't really have breakfast tacos here. <laughs> and that is a thing. Breakfast tacos Listen, is a thing. that's such a thing. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it, it is like, like how much does a normal person eat, a normal Texan eat breakfast tacos? Once a week? It's, nope. That's people in Austin. Probably yes. Oh, in okay. Dallas? Mm, it's kind of a spotty thing. Like where I am, there's only one place that I can think of that sells breakfast tacos, and I've never been there for <gasps> Really? I know. Okay, use know. some really, words to tell me Austin the difference. Sure. Yeah, tell me. use some words to tell me the difference between Austin and Dallas. Uh, okay, Dallas yuppie. Okay. Austin hippie. <gasps> oh, well done. Okay. 
<laughs> yuppie and hippie. Okay. And the other thing, my experience in Dallas is like you can tell me you live in Dallas and another friend can tell me they live in Dallas and y'all live an hour and a half apart. Pretty much. Yep. But y'all all <laughs> say Dallas, but like, what is it called? The Metroplex. Is that what you call it? The Metroplex. Yes. And that is Dallas, Fort Worth, Metroplex. So then you've got not just Dallas, it's two cities and then one major city in between because the Cowboy Stadium is located in Arlington, which sits between Dallas and Fort Worth. So the Metroplex is like all of that. So what's the goal of the Metroplex? Why do we have a thing that we talk about all three cities at one time? I, I don't know. I don't know. And I was surprised to know that not every state and city has a Metroplex situation. <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't realize. You didn't so know that the rest of us don't have triple cities <laughs> that we have a name for. Yeah, because right. like in Nashville, you know how Nashville is. It's like Brentwood, Nashville, and Franklin are like stacked mm-hmm. on top of each other, but we don't have like a word for all three of them. <laughs> yeah, I love I love Nashville. I know. I wish you came here more. I feel like I haven't seen you. I've seen you once here. No, no, no. Just in Orlando. Yep, just when we were in Orlando together, yeah. Okay, let's talk about that event we did in Orlando. It was at the Wycliffe Bible Translation Place. And did you go into the museum that showed all the different, like, the history of translating the Bible? I did not. I missed out. Oh, my gosh, you did miss out. Crystal, it was incredible. Ooh. I mean, like, it was right behind us. I don't know how you missed out. <laughs> oh, I know. You don't know where we were sitting, like, behind yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, ne- I just never went in there. I just never did it. Oh my gosh, it is so, yeah, it is really a cool spot. I I just was amazed at like the history of mm, all the Bible trans. And there's like a room, I'm so sorry you missed this. We should have made you go with us. There's like a room you walk through where they do the translating in your ears. It's like a booth and you listen to all the different translations. I'm so sorry you missed all that. I feel like I'm telling you about a roller coaster after we've already left the music park. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, okay, speaking of that, did y'all get to go to Disney World when we were all down there? We did. We did get to go to Disney World. We um, first went to a place called Give Kids the World because one of my sons has some physical challenges, and we had been sent for free to go to Disney World six years before and stayed in this magical place that you can only stay one time. Like a lot of um, Make-A-Wish kids go there and he wasn't a -a Make-A-Wish, but it's like that. So we had not been since then. So we went there that day because once you come once, you can come anytime as much as you want. And now they'll only feed you one time a year, but you can come and swim and play video games. So we just rolled in there and spent the day there. And then then we went to Disney World and we stayed on a resort and we've never done that before. And it was great fun. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about that house. So it's not like a Ronald McDonald house. No, this is like resort. It's like resort. Like every family has their own little bungalow. And the and the Mickey Mouse may come and tuck your kids in at night. Oh, my gosh. And you can have ice cream. The ice cream shop's open at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, if you don't want to go to the dining hall, you just go to the Boston Market counter and take dinner back to your room. They bring gifts to the kids every day. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So you can stay there once in a lifetime. Because your child has a need that they find, you know, meets their criteria. Mm-hmm. You stay there once in a lifetime, but then anytime you go to Orlando, you can go visit. We can go visit, exactly. <gasps> and just go it's like great. swimming. Yep. Oh, and they put that's his amazing. star on the wall, so we went and found his star. It will forever oh. be in that oh. spot. It's great. Did it's he great. how old is he? He's twelve. So okay. when I was still looking for the star, they had already left the building and went for the ice cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was cared. wondering, like, did he think that was cool? Or <laughs> did no, you just... I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool, and I was like, I'm going to find this star if it yeah, kills me. Yeah. How long did it take? Are there a ton of stars? 
Oh, it took me. Oh, yes. Oh, because this is years and years. Yeah. And every every week, you know, there's, you know, there's there's probably a hundred families there. So, um, yeah, I found it. It took me a good forty minutes, but I found it. And then I, Everybody else is like on the slides, like living uh-huh. it up. I was like, "Why did y'all leave me?" And they were like, "Cause we don't care." I said, "Oh yes, you got, you're going to care." I made him come back in and stand below the star so I could frame it yes. and we could have it forever. Oh, good. <laughs> Okay, now how many kids do y'all have all together? I have five children. We're a blended family. So my husband and I each uh, brought a girl on our wedding day with us. And then we added three boys after that. So the girls are adults, 25 and 21. And the boys are still at home, 14, 12, and 8. 14, 12. I mean, that is a serious household of dudes right now. Yep, it is. I mean, your house must do a lot of laundry and smell all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've never <laughs> had brothers. Much. I've only lived with a dad who is a very clean dad. But well, I would I'll imagine. Tell you what, they they want to tell me sometimes, well, we don't want to bathe because we didn't do anything today. I say, who are you? And they tell me their name. And then I say, what are you? I'm a boy. I said, you did something today. You existed. <laughs> Go take a shower. <laughs> you did enough. That is for you sure. Did enough. You, were, you were breathing in a lot. That's right. It's just, That's a, right. it's just a man. It's not even a bad smell. It's just a man smell. It's just not a sure. freshly bathed clean it's just not you know so we're, we're teaching them one of my favorite things i love seeing when my friends kids come back from camp and they have on the same clothes that they had on when they left for camp yep that's you know happened. oh that's i think happened. that is so funny <laughs> y'all have done that too your boys uh yeah oh yeah oh that's yep. so funny or, or i pack them without eight outfits and put them in plastic ziploc bags so that they can be clear and know that this is your tuesday outfit and none of the ziploc, ziploc bags are open none <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is the best. Um, did any of your kids go to camp this summer? Um, yeah, we went as a family actually to a camp called Pine Cove and they're going to go again this Sunday to kid kid camp by themselves. Okay, I love Pine Cove. I've heard great th- I've never been there, but I've heard great things. So many of my friends love it. Y'all went as a whole family. Yep, we do. You did. like that? We do. We go every other year and we do it because we all do it and my dad is the speaker, so it's kind of family reunionish for us. Oh, cool. But we enjoy it. So all your siblings go, and then your mom and dad are there. So, And then y'all also get to be at camp. Yep. And the thing with family camp is they have all these wonderful opportunities for you to be a family. Right. But every morning at around 9.30, your kids disappear until 3. No way. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. So, so it's my like kind five, of family camp. That's right. <laughs> family camp meets um, vacation. Yep. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay, so Pine Cove is in Texas, or is it, my brain says it's not in Texas. Uh, it is in Texas. They actually have multiple locations, but there's like four, three or four in uh, Texas, and there's one in South Carolina. Yeah. Okay. That's my brain thought knew the South Carolina one. Um, okay. So your dad, Dr. Evans, I, I would love for you to talk, Crystal, just for a second, just because I think this is interesting, and I haven't grown up this way, but I'm watching with a lot of our friends who are growing up with dads on the internet, dads who write books, dads who are, you know, kind of public figures. What is it like growing up being known already it's all i know so it's all i know but um i think that it really helps when your parent has integrity because then the person you see in the church is the person you see at home so then there's not this dichotomy of oh this is what we have to do because we're out you know we're out right right Uh, i mean no more than any normal family i mean i tell my kids that we're in public quit acting like that But, um, <laughs> Listen, I have to tell myself that sometimes, Crystal. You know me. Sometimes I'm like, Annie, you're in public. Cut it out. Exactly. Sounds like, <laughs> yep, sounds about right. Um, and so your whole life was your dad pastoring. Is that the only job you've ever known him to have? 
That's right. Yep. Okay. And is your husband a pastor? Uh, no. Because <laughs> church kind of runs in y'all's family, right? I mean, like, serving the local church is you, Priscilla, Anthony, your parents. I mean, like, and I'm sure there's a lot more that I'm not friends with. That It's just amazing to see that y'all all, like, really serve the local church on a regular basis. Yeah, I really, I mean, my parents just, they were very faithful to do that. I mean, my dad has not had pastorates at different churches. He's pastored the same church for 40 years. He started it and he's been there for 40 years. So what we know is um, consistency and what we know is commitment and loyalty. So I think, I mean, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've had seasons of my life where every Wednesday night I was somewhere else because I was like, I just need something else. You know what I mean? But but the commitment factor of I'm supposed to show up. This is my home. This is my family. It just it just is just um, just this past Sunday. I walked. I mean, it's kind of sad, but I walked and it's supposed to be fun. I know, but it's kind of sad. But I walked down. The, <laughs> I walked down the stairs of my church and saw this young man and asked him how he was doing. Now, is this the same church where your dad's a pastor? Is that where you attend? Yep, my okay. same. Uh huh. Exactly. And so, saw him and said, "How are you doing?" And you know, he grew up at the church. I said, "How's your mom?" Because his mom had gotten sick, and he said, "There she is." And she totally. I think she'd had a stroke. She was in a wheelchair. I mean, I could not stop crying because. Church is home to me. It's home to me. So this is the same woman who's been on the door because she's an usher for the last 25 years. You know, it's not like it, the church is big, but because we grew up there, it's very, very much like family. And you really, um, you really connected with people that have been there for a long time. We have a very, it's not an old church per se, but it definitely people, people come and stay. A lot of people yeah. come and stay. Yeah, that's a. I think that's really interesting. Something that I, we may have talked about this when we were in Orlando, Crystal. I can't remember, but my church growing up had a split when I went off to college, and so I had been with the same people for the first twenty years of my life, and then have been with different people for the last fifteen years of my life ish. Right, but so many, a lot of the people from that original church went to the new church as well. But it is an interesting thing of like. I think my experience sounds like yours of growing up in church is not as typical now as it used to be because— No, because people move. Right. People <laughs> move, and you switch churches based on what you want. And yep, that's right. The flavor is that they change their, they change their mixture. I don't like right. their, new, their new mixture. It's like carbonation and soda. I don't like the way they make their Coke. So right, I'm going to go right. over here. Because, you know, do you, do you have Sonic in Nashville? Yes, girl. Come on with that ice. Okay. Sonic Cokes, yes, and the ice. It's different. Mm -hmm. McDonald's is very inconsistent. Sonic has always got good ice and good Coke, and that yes. matters. So yes. the same thing is different. Mixtures, different places, and people okay, like so, to go where they like it. So what? So what would you say to our friends who are listening, or to me? I mean, I, I'm in. Uh, what's the reason to stay in a church longer, even if the Coke doesn't taste the way you want it to? Yes. So I think we asked the wrong question. I think we just flipped the question. The question we typically ask is, "Is this the flavor I like?" And the question you need to ask is, do I have the capability of serving up the flavor someone else needs? Okay. I think you it, you at least have to ask both questions, yeah. at least both. Not, yeah. But we just typically ask the first one. I think you're really holy if you only ask the second one. But uh -huh. I think you're acceptable <laughs> if you ask them both, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, so yeah. Because I think that what we have to get away from this idea that church is here to serve us. Now we're here to serve the church. And yeah, you do want to get fed. And I mean, and I'm not saying you should never leave by, by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. I'm just saying we really need to check the, it has to be for me, all about me and totally meet my needs. We got to check that at the door. 
Right. Right. And I think that's something that I have struggled with, especially our church just went through a season of our pastor leaving and we're without a pastor for 10 months. And one of the things that we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast with our new pastor, Kevin Queen, one of the things was it just became, uh, it's like our church learned that the center of the church isn't the person on stage anymore. Yep. The center of the church is each other. And is like, because wh- what stays consistent actually in a lot of places is the people, not the pastor. You know, like in the Methodist church, they can get moved every summer. And so it's the people that stay the same. And so I'm I'm learning a lot about loving the local church and what it looks like to do that really well. What have you seen like in your life and how you do church? What do you love so much about the local church? First and foremost, I think geography even though people will travel to go to church, I think shared geography matters. And I think we've forgotten that in a world where we get online and we share things with people. But I like you, Annie, but if I get sick, you're not going to bring me chicken noodle soup. You're not going to come sit at the foot of my bed and make sure that I'm okay. You know, you're not going to drive by and notice that my garage door is open. So I think that there is, there's value in having relationships that span, you know, time zones. But I think we've forgotten that the real way to get to know people over time is to share, to, to also share geography, even if it's not across the street. So I think that's one thing. I also think the knowledge of the geography helps you to serve the area in which the local church sits better. Um, I, I can't serve as well when I go into towns because I just, I don't know. I don't know the people. I don't know what happened last week. I don't, you know, and so, so there's that. But I also think that it's important because we're a family. And when you have a family, when you choose a family, I mean, when you're a teenager, you mm-hmm. say, never mind, I don't like y'all anymore. <laughs> right. But that's, you know, but that's not how families work. Families say, I, I'm here because this is what I chose. And while all it, yucky circumstances don't mean stick through it, a lot of yucky circumstances do because that's what families do. We work through it. We solve conflict. And I think that's the issue in today's day and age. I, I can have a church membership and maybe you know, but I can go to a different church every Sunday just because of what I want to do today. Today, I want to hear the word. Today, I want to hear good music. Today, I want somebody to notice me or, you know, today I want to, I know they do communion every Sunday, so I'm going to go there. And so what we miss out on is the benefit of family. And it's hard, but it's good. Yeah. And, you know, there is a stream of Christianity that says you don't need to go to a local church on Sunday. And so I respect them. They can feel that way. What, what for you, what's the reason y'all get up on Sundays? Mm, right now, <laughs> right now, it's because I'm supposed to get up on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, I mean, can I just tell the truth? That I'm is like, the I truth, kids, yes. I have kids, and if I don't get up and go, this is not setting a good example. That's where I am right now, because really what I want to do every Sunday is sleep in. It's like it's the one day where nothing is happening in the morning. But I get up and go because I do. I feel I feel like God deserves my worship. And I feel that it's not about how I feel that I, that I need to make the sacrifice to show up and be there. So that's, that's my motivation for being there when I don't feel like it, but really it's ingrained in me being in church, um, not forsaking the assembling of the body, like the Bible talks about it's ingrained in me. And if I'm not in church on a Sunday morning, I don't feel right. Right. I don't feel right. Right. You know, I, right after college, I took a, or I guess it was the end of college. I kind of took like a Sunday morning break and because my church meets, we do a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and a 5.30 p.m., sometimes I don't have to get up in the morning. But now with our, you travel like I do, with our travel lives, that is honestly one of the most consistent things for me that makes me feel like I'm anchored to anything is having a church service I can go to on Sundays. 
Yep. That's part of my ground zero. I mean, I try to, when I speak, if at all possible, I get back on a Saturday night. Now, sometimes I want to shoot myself because I'm rolling in and getting in the bed at 1249 a.m. But for the most part, I try to do that. And, and really, I think I aim to do that more so because of my kids. I want my kids to remember every Sunday mommy was here. Not some Sunday she was, some Sunday. So I try to make, and occasionally I miss because it just can't be helped. It's an event and you can't get a flight back. But for the most part, I, I make, that's actually in my contract that unless otherwise noted, Crystal wants to be back on Saturday night so she can attend family with her church and serve in her local church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you know, I don't know if you meant this, but you said attend family with her church. And I think oh. you meant attend church with her family. But yep. I really love that you said attend family <laughs> with her church. Like that feels really true to me. Like that's a really beautiful uh, flip of the story that feels really true to me. Like that is why I want to come home is because I want to have family. You know, like I want to be, that's why I want to come home on Saturday nights because I do want to attend family on Sundays with my church. <laughs> I love that. I'm like writing that down in my notebook. I'm like, I need to like put that in my journal and think over it. Does that ever really happen good. when you listen to your talks and you're like, oh my gosh, like my, I was totally twisted there. Or I used the wrong word or I meant Daniel and I said David and Crystal, all that listen, fun stuff. I just spoke at Crosspoint last week, a couple weeks ago. And I, from stage at one of the services, I said, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain <laughs> of what you do not believe. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard myself and I started the next sentence and got through the next sentence and then realized I'd said it wrong. And so then I said, sorry, what I meant to say was <laughs> certain of what you cannot see. But I was like, well, certain of what you don't believe. Jeez. I was just doing a live stream this past weekend and I, I was trying, I was talking about how the people, the, the Jews would not go through Samaria. And so they would, you know, go from the North Kingdom to the South or the South from the North Kingdom and they'd go around. And I'd say they should have just gone through because the journey around was much, much worse. The The travail was worse. I mean, yeah. the tremaine was worse. Oh. And I was trying to think, and, and, and then I just gave up. I think I said travail, tremaine, and then trahide. And then I was like, you know what? It's And then, of course, as soon as I stepped off the stage, I was like, it's terrain. The word is terrain. <laughs> You're like path, path. Yeah, path, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I hope people have as much grace for us with that as, as it feels like they do because people don't usually call me out very often. But I bet there's once... Once every event that I say something that I go, oh, it was so stupid, and I can't take it back. There's nothing because there's nothing you can do, right? Like, it's done. It's public. It's out there. Uh, it's the worst part of being an author and a speaker is that we, you and I, both know with our books, someone can edit us, and it, there's a lot of time between when I let the words out and anybody else takes them in. And on stage, there's about a third of a second between when I take them out and people get them in. Um, okay, speaking of books, can we please talk about She's Still There? Yeah, we can talk about She's Still There. I hope she is still there after this book launch. Oh, <laughs> oh is Jesus. it wearing you out? Like, do people, do our friends even know that are listening what an author has to do when a book comes out? Because it is kind of insane what they ask, which is necessary because we need to tell people. But it's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, it's what it's it's because you are your own project manager and your own worker at the same time. And you have people who help, but it's it, you're still responsible for tons of decisions. Everything from the color that goes in the box with the book to, you know, which note cards are you going to use and when do you send this stuff and 
I mean, it's just, there's a million things in the, the articles that you have to write. And you're like, I wrote a book. I don't have anything left to say. Right. You know what I mean? Not right now anyway. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's it's tons of work, but it's it's good work. How many articles did you say you would write? I always, I don't say, I don't offer very many. Eek. You know what? I think I've been a little overzealous. But what what well, here's what I did do though. I told I asked them at the beginning, how can I prepare for that? Because I hear a lot of authors say that they it's just it wears them out. She said, if I were you, I would just I would just get five excerpts together and five original pieces, and that has been humongous. Now there's you know I saw oh then you kind of spread that out over the over the last few months or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't even know that that was a thing. You have a number? You're supposed to do a thing? No, 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 no. I just usually say to my people, I'm like, I will do just about anything audio video because of how much we travel and because of the rest of my life. I just don't have time to write 50 articles, right? So I, yeah, I just kind of yeah. say, I would love to do excerpts. Let me do an, like I just did an interview with a magazine where we're just doing a Q&A instead of me writing a piece. So, I mean, it... It, yeah, I, I just finally had to be like, I, I can't write more original stuff. My brain is tired. Yeah, yep, pretty much. But I will say this. I did have a couple of interns, and I, of course, made them read the book. And then I made them come up with stuff. I said, like, um, like I had to do a piece for Christianity Today. And they wanted, they wanted five, count them, five devotionals. And they were short. You know, that yeah. makes it double hard. Right. And so right. I just, <laughs> I'm like, you want me to say what in 175 words? Yeah, that's right. With a scripture? You want the scripture to be a part of the 175? And so, um, but I asked them, I said, you know, here, here's the beginning assignment for you. Like, get me started. And if they got me started, then I could kind of finish it up and wrap it up and tie the end. So that was another little trick that was very helpful. And I was, I've been very glad to have some girls that have gotten some experience being a part of the yes, launch and they've been very yeah. helpful to me too. Yeah. We're having some, we're opening up some internships for, for the next year with us as well, because we have two book launches and a weekend next July. And so it's like, Hey, come on. If you want to experience launching books or throwing events, we're your people because <laughs> you're about to get it. You're about to get all the experience. Um, okay. Will you kind of tell us like what She's Still There is about? Sure. Well, you know, every woman I know really on into girls, teenagers, um, all the way up to 60s, 70s, they've had at least one moment, probably multiple, where they look at themselves in the mirror or look at their life and say, this is not adding up. This is either not what I expected or this is what I expected, but it's 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 not giving me the satisfaction. Or I'm still here and I still don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's just the general right? feeling of being lost. Now, a lot of times that comes after crisis. Girls feel, feel this way after a breakup. Or they feel this way after they've had a couple of babies. Or they feel this way after they've been working their tail off at a job and now they're 38 years old. And they're like, wait a minute. Is this actually what I wanted to do for 20 years of my adult life? You know what I mean? So it can happen for a lot of reasons or it can happen because of tragedy. You know, someone passes away or you get sick. And so the question is, when you're in that moment where you feel lost, is that girl, the best of the girl in you, is she still there? And if so, then what do you do to participate in her rescue? And so the goal is to help you um, by encouraging you. Um, it's kind of a coffee shop conversation. If you were having a rough day, Annie, and I lived in Nashville, and I said, let's meet over coffee, the first part, part of our conversation, I'd probably rub you on the back a little bit, let you cry. The second part of our conversation, I'd give you some encouragement and you know, just really speak life into you. And then the third part of our conversation, because we're friends and I tell you the truth, I'd charge you up a little bit. 
and tell you exactly what your part is because you can't just whine and cry about it. You got to get to stepping. And so that's the way the book is is written to encourage, to motivate, inspire, and then to um, to kind of give you a little little push. What made you decide to write that? My oldest daughter had a decision to make in her early 20s and she was not sure of what to do. And she said, mom, mom, mom. And she said, I just need you to tell me what to do. I said, oh, you're not going to trap me in that. I mean, yeah. if this is like a sin <laughs> issue. I will tell you. But, you know, you get better at making decisions by making decisions. So um, I told her, I said, you know what? Um, you need to, I-, I want you to think of the time when you felt like you were the, you had the most hope for your life and you were the most excited about your life. And she said, when I graduated from high school, she was in college at this time. And um, I said, why? She said, because I just, I just was looking forward to great things for my life. I said, okay, so this is going to sound really weird, but you need to ask that girl what she wants you to do now. Oh, that's good. Because that's the person who had the greatest expectation um, and joy about the life to come ask her. And if you don't ask her now, you will be trying to find her when you're 40 and ask her then. So ask her now. Come on with that. Yeah. I know. And it sounds super Oprah-ish, but it's really, it's really true. I think a lot of women feel lost because they stopped listening to her. They started listening to what the guy wanted them to do or what society wanted them to do or what their guilt wanted them to do or what pressure or finances made them have to do. And then later they're like, what did I want to do? They stopped listening to the girl. And the gift of the girl in us is the gift that God gave us of our unique soul. Our gifts, our abilities, the interests and passions that we have, our personality, impacted by the experiences that we have and the opportunities that he provides. That is the gift of you. And nobody can replace you. But if you lose sight of you, then you don't know what you're supposed to do with you in this world. (laughs) Wow. Okay, man, that's really my brain is spinning about where I want us to go with that because so I hear that is really clearly I, I totally get why you wrote it for your daughter and and women in their 20s but I'm thinking like man I've got friends going through stuff right now so it sounds like I just think what what do you say to the 40 year old woman who's already feels lost and feels like she's missed her chance oh, to do that you still nope you haven't missed your chance because she's still there that's the whole point so like one of the illustrations in the book I give is Jessica McClure, right? Yeah. So she's breathing. She's underground. Now, it was hard to get to her. They had to dig all kind of pipes and pathways to get there. And we were all watching on CNN. And it took a long time. But do you know what? As long as she was in there, especially because she was breathing, they kept digging. So the dig for a 40-year-old woman might look different than a, you know, a dig for a 20-year-old woman. But you still... You still owe it to yourself to dig. You still owe it to yourself to dig. So the question you're still is, because you're still breathing, as long as you have life, you owe it to God to honor the gift of the girl He gave you. Crystal, man, that is, yeah, because I think it's really easy for us to give up hope. I think it's really easy to go like, I've missed Routine. that chance. Yeah. Routine. And I'm just going to maintain. Yeah. You know? And and there's nothing wrong with r- routine and maintenance. I just think it's it's not okay when you settle for that. When when you know you want more or there's something pulsating, you know, beating in your heart and you're ignoring it because it's too hard or you don't know the answer. And one of the things people say all the time is, I don't know the answer. And I'm like, you usually know one thing. One thing. You may know that... Um, that you don't know what you want to do with your life. You don't like your job, but you don't know really what you want to do with your life. But you probably know one thing that you enjoy. So engage in that one thing until you start 
encouraging the rest of your girl to peek out of the shadows. Oh, she's honoring me by taking time to read. Oh, well, maybe I want to join a book club. And then you join a book club and who knows, you may meet somebody who totally introduces you to another career. But you you don't you don't get out of the shadows by jumping out of the shadows into the sunlight. Most of us need to adjust our eyes and we take one small step at a time. Yeah. So when you say girl, like the subtitle, rescuing the girl in you, you literally mean like the young version. You're not just using another woman, another word for woman. You literally no, mean like I'm there using- is... I'm using another word for woman because, see, some of us don't want to get back to our girls. The girls, we were, you know, some 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 girls were abused. Some people, you know, they 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 don't they don't want to go back there. I'm saying the idea of the girl, the idea of the best. Yeah. You know, we we tend to associate the beginning boy girl with before we became man and woman and had to adult. Yeah. So I'm using right. that to describe whatever you think is the best of you because we tend, you know, woman means I got I got responsibilities. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> And so girl is just, is just, think about it. That's how we talk to each other. Girl, you going to come with me to the store? It's just, that's how we, it's how we refer to each other in a lighthearted, fun and expectant way. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. You know, I tell people a lot when, when I get to talk to people about like what they're called to do with their lives, quote, quote, you know, use that real loosely. I always say like, what did your five-year-old self think you could do? Like, what did you used to believe you could do? Because you have, you, I think you need to trust some of that inside stuff that's in you when you're trying to work through kind of that, what has happened with my life. You go, okay, well, when I was five, you know, like, what did I think about when I was five or what did I think about when I was finishing college? Like you told your daughter, it's so brilliant. Yeah. Well, here's a funny thing. I think even if, whether we want to be what we wanted to be at five or not, there's always common threads. There's always common threads. So someone who may have said um, when they were smaller, they wanted to be a teacher and they find themselves, uh, you know, at 45 as a corporate trainer or they find, you know what I mean? There's a thread of I like instructing. There's usually something that you can tie back, even if the actual career or the the dream is not the same. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, you just have to look. You have to look. Right. What was the hardest part of writing this for you? Writing it. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Sitting down and doing it. Girl, yes. That, that, I, know. I think really just, you know, and it's true. Uh, a friend of mine said, you know, you, you want to write a book, you sit in the chair and, and you go with the words. And somewhere in there, you'll find words worth using. And I wanted every session to be a masterpiece session. And it doesn't work like that. Sometimes you <laughs> no. throw up 3,000 words and all 3,000 go in the trash, you know? Um, I know. Isn't it heartbreaking? Yeah. But I think the hardest part really was. I knew what I wanted to say and I thought I knew how I wanted to say it. But sometimes as it came out, I'd be like, uh-uh, that's not it. That's not it. Or how it came out was exactly it. And I didn't necessarily want to say it like that. I didn't want to put myself naked in front of people. So really the process of honesty with myself, I think, apart from just sitting down in the chair, honesty with myself. Yeah, this is what I want to say. This isn't what I want to say. So I'm going to do it over. Honesty with me, because when your words agree with you, you know it, and you know Ooh. it when they don't. Right. Yeah. I and that's the thing about I. I joke a lot that I wish our readers got to see the first draft and the last draft, because oh, they yeah, think <laughs> we can turn out what they pick up off the shelf, and that is nope. like jokes for day. You know, because oh my gosh, I mean, I just turned in a very, very, like the roughest first draft I've ever turned in a few weeks ago. And I was like, y'all, I'm sorry, we have so much to do. But part of the problem for me, Crystal, is I'm. it's a book about God's kindness. And it's exactly what you said. The thing I keep wrestling with is, or the, the wall I keep running into is, do I actually believe this? 
mm-hmm. I'm trying to mm-hmm. to tell others it's true, but in my own life, do I actually believe it? So that honesty with yourself, I think, I agree with you, is one of the very hardest parts of writing. Yeah, it is. Because I don't think, I mean, there's a guttural place that I get when I write. I mean, I can sit down and write some stuff, but then you find yourself kind of in a flow and it's just it's almost like you're taking dictation. That guttural space, sometimes I'm surprised at what's coming out of me. And then I have to say, okay, was this for me to see what's in there or am I sharing it with everybody? <laughs> right, right. Oh, oh, listen, there's two chapters that I wrote all the way through, edited. They looked beautiful. And when it was time to turn the book into my editor and my agent, they didn't make it. And I thought, oh, I just wrote that for me. That wasn't for them in any way. That was just for me. And and I think we have to do that with our – I think that's true with painters or musicians that sometimes you make a piece that leads you to the right thing but is not the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, but I think that's why we admire, admire great artists of any kind because in order to be excellent at their craft, they don't just sit down and do it. They put themselves into it. So I can play a Bach two-part invention, but not like a concert pianist can where right, they right. the emotions are flooding onto the keys. And that's what we want. But sometimes it, it takes a lot of work to get there. Right. Oh, man, girl. And and so this is your second book you've written? Yeah, I co-authored Kingdom Woman with my dad. Yes. And um, that was, you know, he did all the theological heavy hitting, and I just showed up and told stories. Yeah. Know, a third of the chapter. I love it. So they were like, you know, write your own book. I'm like, okay, yeah, it'll be easy. And then I was like, what? I have to provide this structure? What? The, the, each chapter has to tie into the next one? It <laughs> needs to all be related? What? I mean, I was yeah. still trying to figure out organization up until the very last, I mean, I, the day they went to print, I said, have they printed anything yet? Can you call it back? I found one other thing I want to change. Really? <laughs> they were so kind to me. They were so kind to me. I love that, though. <laughs> that happens to me when we turn things in where I go like, oh, now that it's turned in, I realize there's one more thing. There's one more mm-hmm. thing I want to do. And you there's see a, it. All of a sudden, you see it. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, hey, I'd rather see it on this side than see it when it's in a bookstore. That is for sure. There's a guy I love in New York named Seth Godin, and he always says you have to ship it. Like, at some point, it may not be perfect, but you have to get it out of your hands and into the hands of other people. Because otherwise, if they gave us – I mean, I just wonder how many authors are out there that have been working on one book, and because they don't have a deadline that, that, that anyone has set for them or they've set for themselves, they've worked on the same book for nine years, right? Or worked on the same book for – 10 months or four years and gone like, well, it's just not done. It's just not done. You go, nah, it's not when you send it off. You send it off even when it's not done. Mine's not done, but I had to get it out of, out of my life. I have a seminary professor who has written a book uh, on the Trinity and he just gives the book to all of his students as a PDF every semester because he keeps working on it. No. And I think he's been working. Mm-hmm. And <gasps> I, it's a textbook. Like this is not a 200, 300 page. This is a 450 page textbook and he will not print it because he's like, I keep discovering things and I keep, I mean, this is, I want to read that. (laughs) It's like eight years. I think they said it was eight years and he still had not published it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you have a seminary degree. Nope. I'm in seminary and I will stay as long as they let me. I will stay as long. Really? Okay. Cause I'm kind of thinking about it. So tell me, tell me why you're in it. Because of the accountability. I can walk into the bookstore and read all the books, but I won't unless I'm being held accountable. Um, I would, I need to do more of the classes in class than online because online I just watch the videos and there's no interaction. And I really think the interaction is what makes it take, take flight for you. 
Um, but you know, our schedules are crazy. So I'm, I'm just, I'm on the, you know, I want to get the degree before I die plan. And so, um, and really it's just to keep me in study mode in a challenged way. I mean, I study my Bible, um, and I know how to study my Bible, but in terms of stretching me and reading things I wouldn't ever read, um, it, it's helpful for that. But I mean, it's like one class a semester for me. For real. Yeah. So you're not even, which I think is so interesting, you know, so many pastors that go after it need it because they need the degree, but you're more in it just for like the constant learning. Yeah. I'm a learner. Yeah. I have 56 tabs probably right now open on my laptop. I'm always... <laughs> I always want to know how to do something, watch a YouTube video, have, you know, what's the shortcut? Where are the instructions? And so I feel like I'm just wired the same way with God's word. I'm like, okay, I want to understand it. And when someone says something and I'm like, why didn't I know that? Like, how did they know that? Um, And I think one of the dangerous, one of the dangerous things that we can do in society as Christians is say, we have to be able to explain everything. But I also think one of the dangerous things that we can do in Christians as society is say, I don't have to explain anything. I just need to believe. No, we we need to be ready to give an answer for our faith. And the Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves approved. And I think we just have to decide for each one of us what that looks like. But I like school. So why not? Got it. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question of something I was wrestling with this morning and see what you think about it. Okay. So our church, our pastor has the staff. I'm not on staff, but we're friends. So he just told me this in passing um, that he has the staff reading Haggai as he's starting being the pastor of our church. And in chapter two, verse 19, it lists four plants, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree. The context is it's God saying like, until now, those haven't done any fruit, but from now on, I'm going to bless you. And so I'm kind of wondering if those four things are actually something we should figure out, like, what is the vine? What is the fig tree? What's the pomegranate? What's the, why? Because I don't think God ever accidentally picks an, a f- fruit or an animal or a place, right? I think all those are really intentional. So I'm just kind of wondering, what do you know about what do you think about that? Is there a chance that that we're supposed to look at what those mean? I'm saying there's always a chance you'll find a diamond if you dig. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and so sometimes you dig and there wasn't anything there. But I think you'd never find the diamonds if you don't dig. Ah, uh, that's really good. Because I'm curious because I know, you know, that these things mean certain things. I mean, the vine... The Bible talks about the vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And the olive tree, you know, is a symbol of um, fruitfulness and a symbol of, um, um, you know, just longevity. I mean, the Bible talks about the your kids being around you like young olive shoots. So you just never know when you look into the scriptures and see every time it's used, what does it connote? And what is then it, what, how does that then have meaning in this particular passage? I, I just like to dig. And sometimes I'm like, man, and I, am I making up a meaning here? You know, am I making this mean something it doesn't mean? But I think that, you know, all scripture is given for reproof. So we yeah. just dig and see That's how I am with. too, Crystal. I just love, I think like, well, he could have said one of those things. He didn't have to say four different plants. Like, I, I love seeing that stuff. And I'm with you where you like dig and you try and you see what you can find. And then if you go, ah, this is ridiculous. This doesn't mean anything. Well, that, that's <laughs> why you have work. to be careful about coming. And I and I, I, I struggle with this. So that's why you have to be careful about coming to the scripture, looking for the scripture to prove your point. Ooh, okay. Talk because about that. Because there really is a structure. There really is a structure in the scripture and it's written in context. And it's not to say that you can't pick a scripture here and pick a scripture here and them help and them truly support your point. You just have to be careful about doing that because the Bible really is written to explain itself the way it's written. 
And it's our job to get into it and figure out why is there this rhyme or reason and not break it up just so that we can make it fit whatever we want to say. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, and that's what this morning I was being real careful going like, okay, I don't want to like make something that isn't there. Like I'm not going to call, you know, a, a rock a diamond, right? <laughs> I'm not going to pretend that something's there that isn't, but it stood out to me. And so I'm going to do some reading. Plants seem to do that. I can't, Crystal, I can't grow a plant for all the tea in China. I, like, have no green thumb at all. But for some reason in the scripture, they totally jump out at me all the time. (laughs) I have no idea why. Um, Okay, so our last question that we always talk about on the podcast, because it's called That Sounds Fun, besides talking about plants in the Bible that I actually do found to be very fun. What sounds really fun to you right now? Hmm, right now? (laughs) Okay, what I do for fun right now is sit on the couch, put my laptop on my lap, and make sure my feet are on the ottoman tucked in with either fuzzy socks or a fuzzy blanket. That sounds fun to me. But that also is because I have five kids and I just finished writing a book. Um, yeah, that's generally right. speaking, <laughs> You know, I'm a little bit of an adventure seeker. And so um, I, you know, take me to a beach and let me parasail or, you know, put me on a roller coaster with my kids. I mean, I do enjoy fun. I just have to get out of the house to do it. And I've been in the, in the house season because I'm always traveling. But um, those are the those are the kind of things I enjoy. I love I love right now being at home and getting into a good series or something because I don't watch TV. Yeah. So when I really really yeah. do watch it, like, oh just y'all don't watch TV up. at all? No, like not as a family rule. I personally don't make time for watching TV because I'm sure. How am I gonna sure, sure, sure. have kids at home and write books and go speak and then watch TV for me for me right. anyway? Now my yeah, kids. No, I hear you. Know, you. I, I let them watch a little bit. When I'm home, let's put it like this. They watch a lot less than when their father is home with them alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, we're going to talk about stuff, everybody. <laughs> it's a free-for-all when I'm gone. They oh, get they get it. the cereals that they love. They get to play way more video yes. games or watch TV than what I will allow. They eat way more junk food, and then I come home. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, Crystal, thank you for being on the podcast today. I'm so grateful that you made time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And it's always fun to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed that time with Crystal. She's so sweet. And I just really enjoy getting to chat with her and ask her things that seminary people know that maybe Annie's don't know. I don't know. So I loved her thought about digging and finding a diamond. And I just thought, I thought that was really neat. That was really something I'm going to remember. And where she said that she comes home, I can't remember the exact quote now, but comes home early from events so she can go to family with her church. That's it. So she can go to family with her church, which I thought was really neat. So make sure you check out her new book that just released this week. She's still there. And the website is that she's still there.com. Okay. I'm going back on vacation, going back to resting. I hope you are doing some resting. That's what sounds fun to me. If you're new around here, we're so glad. Thank you for saying hi. We have tons of episodes I bet you'd enjoy if you know and love Crystal, like Angie Smith, Bianca Oltoff, tons of great authors, Rebecca Lyons. So definitely head back and check out some of those other episodes. And please rate and review the podcast if you haven't done that yet. It just makes people feel like they are welcome here when they already see that other people already like it and are there. So thanks. Um, Okay. Today, what sounds fun to me? Going to the pool, Going to walk at Radnor, getting a Coke Icy, maybe. I just can't have one every day. They're just so delicious, but they're just not good for my soul or my body. But at least the pool and Radnor. So back to vacation. Hope you guys are doing great. 
And don't forget to check out She's Still There by Crystal and 100 Days to Brave by me. So I hope you're having a great August and I will see you soon.